0: Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. everybody welcome to conversations for yoga teachers i am your host karen fabian and this is episode 113 so i am recording this on january 13th or i'm sorry january 18th 2021 you one. You'd think i know what the date is uh january 13th was last week actually the day after i moved into my apartment i'm sorry into um my new place so i'm really kind of still very discombobulated if you can't tell by the fact that I'm flubbing all my words. Um, As you probably know, if you have a recent memory or even an old memory of what it's like to move, it's pretty disorienting. And so I did move into a new place last week on Tuesday, so I'm still getting kind of everything organized and everything set up, and even just the recording of this podcast is happening in kind of a unique part of my new place and it's just, you know, all good, uh, just um, a little bit disorienting. So I'm still getting used to everything. If you listen to one of my past episodes, you heard me mention that my longtime boyfriend and I, um, we've been together almost 13 years now, uh, and we never actually lived together. So this is our first opportunity to do that. Everything finally aligned in terms of timing and the kind of place that we would both want and location. And he had a cat and I had a dog and may they forever be in animal heaven because um, that was one of the reasons that we couldn't live together. So long story short, it's now happened. And so it is just kind of the post move couple of uh, days uh, that I've been going through just to get everything completely set up. So having said that, um, (laughs) I want to start out by letting you know that on the 30th of this month, I am hosting a virtual wellness event, and I've done a similar thing twice in 2019, live and in person here in Boston and they were so much fun, these wellness events that I wanted to do another one in 2020. Well, of course the pandemic foiled my plans for that. So once uh, last year, you know, came and went, I finally just decided to do it virtually. And I do hope, and I know that at some point in the future, I'll be able to host another one of these live and in person. Although for now, I'm really, really glad that I have an opportunity to do it virtually because it's actually gonna give more of you an opportunity to join in where coming to Boston might not be in your short or long-term plans. So the fact that this is gonna be virtual is actually something I'm thrilled about and I'm really excited about hosting this event. Now, in terms of what you'll get, If you sign up, it's a full day, almost a full day from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon of wellness activities. They're really short sessions. I think the longest we'll probably go is maybe 40 minutes of yoga. And the reason I made them short is because I recognize of course, you're in your house, you're on the computer. You probably don't wanna do that for long bouts of time. And the other thing that I did is I decided to really mix up the sessions so that some are more sitting down, some are more moving, some are more you know, totally focused on meditation or deep relaxation. Some of them are more kind of fun and interactive. So there's really a wide variety. The whole theme of the day is to focus on you, your health, feeling good, giving you strategies for health and wellness, and also one of the sessions I'm really um, interested to do and excited to do is a short presentation I'll be doing on neuroscience. I've learned so much in the past year about it. And on a personal level, understanding more about how the brain works is a definite good thing when it comes to your overall health and especially when it comes to decreasing stress. So the event is the 30th of January. I'm limiting it to 10 people because i really want the group to be small so that everybody has a really good chance for interaction and it's just not kind of like a sea of faces on the computer so right now there are only three spots left uh, or maybe four so make sure you grab your spot today if if you're interested it's also still early bird pricing so it's only 99 dollars for the whole event And I send you this really cool wellness box when you sign up, which I'm thrilled to be partnering with an artisan on Etsy to send those wellness gift boxes out. And I just love supporting small business and a small business owner. And what she's created in terms of a wellness box is a really cool treat that I'll send you when you sign up. So in order to register for the event, all you need to do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and go to the events page and you'll see the link to sign up. If you're curious and you're not sure you wanna sign up, go there anyway, because that'll give you the full agenda to look at as well as an invite video from me you can view, which I actually recorded here in the new place. So um, the next thing I wanna mention is that another teacher graduated this weekend from my Blueprint Learning Program. And I wanted to share with you a cool thing that I've done that is really um, kind of spurning on teachers to progress through the program to graduation. I created a learning rewards program, and this is actually based on things that I've learned studying neuroscience. And it has to do with what happens in your brain when you start to make progress. And from a neurotransmitter perspective, I'll just tell you a little bit that one of the neurotransmitters that gets released is dopamine dopamine is a feel good neurotransmitter. And when you start to feel good because you're making progress, chances are you'll stick with it, whatever it is you're doing, whether it's learning anatomy, losing weight, doing an exercise program, learning a language, it doesn't matter. And so my learning rewards program is basically geared to leverage the body and the brain's reaction by giving teachers three coaching calls that they need to complete with me in a certain period of time. And at the end of the third one, they graduate from the program. In between each call, they're going through the course part of my program on their own. And then during the coaching calls, I ask questions, we go over the results of the quizzes they've taken, any questions they have, do some practice teaching. So it really brings the program to life. And every time they do a call, They get a little bit of money back from the investment they made in the course. And so that's the tangible return on investment they get and the progress they're making along the way gives them that kind of positive feel good dopamine hit. And so they stick with it. And at the end of the third coaching call, not only do they graduate from the program, but they also get back $100. They've earned back $100 of their investment in the Blueprint Learning Program. So, if all of this sounds interesting to you and a really good format for you to be part of in order to learn anatomy once and for all and how to apply it to your teaching, get on my waitlist, which is on my website. You'll see the waitlist for the Blueprint Learning Program. And at least once a month, I open enrollment. If you're on the waitlist, you'll be one of the first people to find out when the doors open. The other thing I wanted to share with you, which is again, kind of in this area of brain science is the power of mindset shifts. And I wanna just tell you a quick story. And this also comes from one of the teachers that is currently enrolled in my blueprint learning program. She and I have been working together doing some coaching calls. And I noticed a big change when we did a recent coaching call and that she seemed much calmer, much more kind of in control of the studying she was doing, using my program as the basis for her work efforts. And I said to her at the end of the call, I said, you know, I really feel like you're so much calmer and so much more in control. Can you tell me, is that correct? Does that observation I'm making resonate with you? And what do you think that's about? And so what she shared was that she really decided to take the pressure off herself when it came to getting the program done. And she found that she was putting a lot of pressure on herself, and it was actually making her not enjoy doing the program. When in fact, she had enrolled completely of her own volition, and yet it seemed from what I made out from what she was saying, it seemed to have turned into something that was kind of like another job or kind of sort of like a pain. And so once she decided to let the pressure off herself because it was really self-created, she said, all of a sudden she found all this extra mental space to devote to studying and she actually started to have fun. And so that's a great example of a mindset shift. And I wanna let you know that when I work with teachers and I ask them questions and they use certain words, I can tell when they're putting pressure on themselves, when they say things like, I have to get this course done, or I really need to graduate from them from this course, or I really need to learn how to do this, or it's so much information, I really need to be able to get through it all. That kind of verbiage really conveys That you're putting pressure on yourself. So I want you to really listen for the the, um, actual word choice that you're using when you talk to other people or even when you talk to yourself. And if you use these kind of high pressure words, I want you to ask, just stop and ask yourself, who's saying it has to be done right away? Who's saying this has to be done? Because if you start to question yourself, what you'll probably find out is that you're the one putting the pressure on yourself. And if you're open to kind of self-coaching, or of course, if you work with a coach, you'll understand that this is self-generated pressure. And then hopefully you'll be able to release it. And just like this woman that I was working with in my, in my blueprint learning program, you'll all of a sudden feel lighter and feel like you're having more fun and really feel like you're enjoying what you're doing. So that's, you know, I wrote on Instagram yesterday, this, this thought of your one mindset shift away from that transformation you so desire. And this is a perfect example of that. You know, I'm sure this um, teacher I was working with, even if she wasn't fully aware of it, she probably would have agreed this would have been a shift she wanted. However, it really took the personal work that she did to make that shift. And now that she's done it, she has all this extra space that she can devote to the program and to learning and to growing. So I really hope that for you, this is all of this is based in neuroscience. Um, and you know, this is part of the, the work that teachers do when they're in my program because they get the coaching component. And so I'm always kind of reflecting back to them. Things that they're saying and, and that kind of thing and so that's where the opportunity lies when you work with someone who can be objective that's often where you start to hear yourself and you realize oh man i am using words like that or things along those lines so just keep that in mind that's again another part of the blueprint learning program but i just wanted to share that mindset shift idea with you so in terms of today and the content we're gonna go into today, I called this particular episode, Breaking Down Cues. Now, I wanna ask you, you know, have you ever taken an online class recently and heard a cue and wondered the why behind it, you know, wondered the rationale behind it, maybe heard it and thought, you know, what's, what's the teacher getting at there? What's the anatomy component or reason for what this person is saying? Now, this is something I've definitely talked about before. You can probably find um, a recent episode on this subject. However, it kind of never goes out of style because I always get questions from teachers about certain cues that they've heard and wondering the anatomy rationale. And this is really where you get to put into action what you know about anatomy. And by the same token, this can also be a chance for you to identify that you've got a learning gap around anatomy. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because you want to know where your learning gaps are. The challenge we have is when we don't know what we don't know, and then we're just kind of out there teaching and we don't realize, man, if I had this knowledge, it would really help me teach more effectively or make a bigger impact. In this way, when you recognize you've got this kind of learning gap, it can really help you make better choices around continuing ed. Where are you going to invest your money? In what kinds of programs? So I'm just going to go over again, just my system for understanding cues and breaking them down. And I'm going to go into it in a little bit of an abbreviated way. And then at the end of the episode, I'll let you know where you can get an ebook that expands upon it Uh, in great detail. So the first thing I want you to think about is put yourself in your own shoes (laughs) and put yourself in uh, in the scenario where you are in a class or taking a class online and you hear a cue and you think, I wonder what that means. So you go home and you remember the cue and you're not quite sure how to evaluate it or how to kind of get to the bottom of it. So I'm gonna give you a systematic way to do that. So the first thing you wanna do is you want to review the anatomical actions of the pose. You wanna start at the beginning, not at the end. And if you think of this like continuum, what you're hearing as the cue is at the end of the line. It's the end of the continuum. If you go all the way back to the beginning of the story or the beginning of the line or the beginning of the continuum, you have to start with the anatomical actions. So you heard the cue when you were in a particular pose, what are the anatomical actions of the pose? And this is a perfect opportunity because if you can't identify them, you've really got to brush up on your anatomy. There should be no question at all about joint positioning and anatomical actions. That is a fundamental piece of anatomy that you need to know. So. That's a you know, perfect chance for you to kind of recognize and self-reflect and say, you know what, I got to go back to the drawing board here on anatomy. So anatomical actions are those things like adduction and abduction and upward rotation and internal rotation and lateral flexion, all those kinds of things. So you want to look at the pose and you want to identify what the anatomical actions w- are in that posture. Now, the next thing you want to do is you want to identify the muscles that are concentrically contracting. So you want to be able to look at that posture and identify all the major muscles that are doing the work. So when I say concentrically contracting, that's what I mean, muscles doing the work. So if both legs are straight in the posture, the quadriceps are concentrically contracting. If you're in a back bend, the erector spinae are concentrically contracting. If you are in uh, bilateral hip flexion, the psoas and the iliopsoas, and uh, I'm sorry, the psoas and the iliacus and the sartorius and the rectus femoris are all concentrically contracting. So, you know, the idea is you should be able to identify the muscles that are working to help you do that posture. Now, this is another huge area for teachers where they oftentimes can't identify the muscles by name. And so this is another time where you're maybe gonna to say to yourself, boy, I really need to brush up on my anatomy you know, knowledge. And that's, again, a good thing. So that's step two, identify the muscles involved concentrically. Step three is identify the joints involved and if any of them are at risk. So generally speaking, you can think about joints that are closer to the floor and or weight bearing as definitely more at risk than joints that are higher up the body. So for instance, if you're in triangle pose and you're leaning towards your right side, your knee joint on the right would be more at risk than your left shoulder. If you are in low pushup, your wrist joints would be more at risk than let's say your ankle joints. So those are just some examples. You want to look at what joints are involved and see if you can identify anything positionally that's creating risk. Because again, all of those factors could potentially be connected to the rationale behind the cue the teacher gave. So if the teacher is cueing in low pushup, make sure your elbows are over your wrists. The rationale for that could be connected to the fact that the wrists are at higher risk for injury because they are at the lowest point of the pose in arms that are weight bearing. So that's how that one breaks down. Take a look at the posture from the perspective of the joints involved. Now, the fourth thing is to take um, a listen to the cue and evaluate it as to if it has an impact just for an individual student versus the group. So this is the kind of thing where you might find yourself getting into um, evaluating a cue that you heard in class that was really a situation where the teacher was speaking to one specific type of student or a scenario that maybe one student was having. Versus a cue that you heard that was more broadly applicable. And you definitely want, I think, in teaching to be teaching more to the group. Of course, in private sessions, we'll have an opportunity to really customize things for students. But in general, you know, my approach is. Generally, to give general cues and maybe a handful of modifications, and to leave the really specific modifications for when I work with people in one on one sessions. So, you want to take a listen to the cue and see is this something that has broad applicability or is this something that is just really specific to one one student? The next thing is really important. You want to take a listen to the cue and evaluate it as to if the cue applies to a dynamic movement or a static posture. So a cue that you might hear in the context of doing sun salutations would be a cue that applies to dynamic movement versus a cue that you hear when you're in lizard lunge would definitely be a cue that is applicable in a static pose. And so this also gives us a window into the why behind the cue. If I'm speaking to someone in lizard lunge or teaching a class with lizard lunge, and I'm giving a cue that has to do with sitting in the joints, that definitely has to do with a risk factor in static poses. If I'm giving a cue during a dynamic movement like high to low pushup, and I'm asking students to watch how low their shoulders go with respect to their elbows, that is a, um, a piece of the rationale behind why I'm saying that in other words, the fact that it's a dynamic movement is connected to the cue that I'm giving because in moving from high to low pushup, because it is a dynamic movement, the shoulder is more at risk as you go through that high to low to up dog to down dog. So embedded in the cue rationale is the fact that it's a dynamic movement. So that's an important thing to note as well. And then the last thing is to consider frequency. If you hear a cue and it's, you know, let's say got some kind of big warning attached to it, and it's a posture that you do every once in a while, that may or may not be necessary because you're not really doing that posture a lot. However, if the posture is something that you do quite frequently, or you teach quite frequently, that could uh, shed some light on the rationale of the cue, especially if it's maybe a cue where you're giving your students some kind of gentle warning. If it is applying to um, a shape or a movement we do a lot, like again, high to low pushup, <laughs> um, that would make sense because frequency as a variable automatically increases risk, especially if alignment is poor. If you're doing something with really poor alignment, but you only do that pose once in a 60 minute practice versus if you do something with really poor alignment, but you do that dynamic movement five or 10 times in a practice, the risk in the latter is much higher. So again, this is all in an effort to understand the why behind a cue. And so frequency of of the action of concern or the action being evaluated or the pose being evaluated is definitely something that could tie into the rationale. So let me just go over with you what these six points are. And again, these six points are just uh, kind of an abbreviation of the entire uh, evaluation uh, framework that I created. So, Point one or step one uh, is to review the anatomical actions of the pose. Step two is to identify the muscles concentrically contracting. Step three is to identify the joints involved and those at risk. Step four is to determine if the pose or the pose being evaluated or the cue being evaluated is one that applies to the group or to the individual. Step five is to determine if the cue applies to a dynamic movement, which is a series of movements, or a static pose. And step six is to consider if frequency is involved. In other words, is the pose or dynamic movement done very frequently or not so much? So let's just look at a couple of examples. So the first one is the cue that you probably have heard every once in a while that has to do with, or some variation of saying, Don't lock your knee in tree. So let's use the system that we just went over. So the first thing is review the anatomical actions of the pose. So in tree pose, if your right foot is on your left leg, your right hip is in flexion, your left hip is in neutral, you could even say a little bit of extension, depending on the person. Your right knee is in flexion, your right foot is in dorsiflexion. Your spine is neutral and let's see, if your arms are reaching up to the sky, your shoulders are in flexion. So those are the anatomical actions. And now let's hone in on the knee, because the knee is the thing that's being referenced in the cue. Don't lock your knee in tree. So the knee that they're referring to here, or the teacher would be referring to here, is the knee of the straight leg, because we're talking about locking. So locking has to do with hyperextension. So if we review the anatomical actions of the pose, we're talking about a straight leg or a knee in extension. The next part of the framework is to identify the muscles involved concentrically. So if I have a straight left leg, the major muscle creating that action would be the quadriceps because that's the uh, muscle concentrically contracting when knee extension is the joint action. The third part of our framework is to identify joints involved and those at risk. So this cue is specifically talking about the knee and let's see, is the knee potentially at risk? Well, in tree pose, we're standing on one leg. So because we're weight bearing on that leg and we're speaking to that particular knee in the cue, that leg is a knee is definitely more at risk because it's the only, (laughs) the only leg holding up the body, right? So it's, it's, um, it's a balance. It's a standing balance. So, inherent in standing balances is higher risk to the standing leg. Is it a cue that applies to the group or the individual? Well, it's a really good cue to say to the group because chances are, if you're teaching tree pose to 10 people, there's probably three or four people that are locking out their knee. Is it a static or dynamic movement? Well, tree is most definitely a static pose. And frequency, what about frequency? Well, we only do tree probably once in a practice. It's not like we're doing tree frequently. So that means the risk isn't too, too high. However, when we think about the joint structure of the knee itself, locking it out creates hyperextension, which can wear and tear on the joint capsule. So that's the real heart of the rationale behind not locking your knee. You don't want to you know, create a scenario where you're wearing and tearing on the knee joint Uh, more than is necessary. And so that's how you kind of look at that cue, use the framework we just went over to evaluate the why behind the cue. So let's look at a different one. In Up Dog, here would be the cue. Squeeze your shoulder blades together. So let's think about, again, we'll just kind of go through the same system. Review the anatomical actions of the pose. So there's a lot of anatomical actions in Up Dog. Here, the cue of question is squeeze the shoulder blades together. So let's hone in on what the shoulder blades are doing from a joint, um, sorry, from an anatomical action perspective. So when shoulder blades squeeze towards the spine, they're adducting. And let's look at the next thing. The next thing is identify the muscles involved concentrically. So what muscle Um, adducts the scapula. Well, that would be two muscles in particular, the rhomboids and the middle trapezius. So that gets you step two. Step three, identify the joints involved and those at risk. So here, again, the cue of question is specifically to shoulder blades. So the joints would really be shoulders because the shoulder blades aren't a joint, they're a bone. So the, the issue here would be, or the joints involved would be shoulder joints and your shoulders in up dog are extended, right? Shoulders are an extension and adduction. I'm sorry, um, your shoulders are in an extension and um, adduction. <laughs> uh, extension, why am I, oh, an external rotation. I had a little brain blanking out there. Uh, shoulders are in extension and external rotation and scapula are adducting. Group versus individual. Well, squeezing the shoulder blades together in Up Dog is a great general cue you can give to the group. It definitely is not something you would only hone in on one person for. Dynamic versus static. Well. I think this is kind of variable. There's plenty of times you're doing up dog in the context of sun salutations, which which makes it a cue you'd hear when you're doing a dynamic movement. You could also do up dog and hold it a little bit longer. However, I think for the most part, people are doing up dog in the context of dynamic movements. And then consider frequency. I think you'll agree that up dog is a posture we do a lot in a class. So it's definitely something that we wanna be sure the alignment's correct. And we want to um, just keep our eye on um, the cues we use because it is a pose people are doing a lot. So we want them to be able to do it to the best of their ability and in good alignment. So having said that, let's go back to the cue. So squeeze the shoulder blades together in up dog we wanna um, create more adduction. So for using those muscles, the rhomboids in the middle trap, they are concentrically contracting to create that adduction. So the cue itself is a perfect um, verbalization of the joint action you want the student to create. And that really in and of itself is the reason for the cue. We want to support the joint action that is present. Let's do one more. This last one is, let's imagine you're in chair pose and you hear the cue to draw your belly button to your spine. And you might wonder, I wonder why the person is saying that. Well, oftentimes in chair pose, what you may experience or what you may see in your students is a big sway back. It's kind of like the middle, I'm sorry, the lower back is sort of caved in. And that's known as a lordosis, which is a sway back versus a hunchback, which is a kyphosis. And when we have kind of that big sway back, it's helpful to create more neutral alignment. But I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Let's go back to the system that I explained. Let's use it to try to figure out the why. So you're in class and you hear somebody say, draw the belly button into the spine. So let's take a look at step one review the anatomical actions of the pose. So in chair pose, we've got hips in flexion, knees inflection, and we've got spine in extension, okay? We've got the pelvis with an anterior tilt versus a posterior tilt. This is potentially a little confusing, but think about an anterior tilt as the top of the pelvis tipping forward versus a posterior tilt where the front edge of the pelvis tips back. So in uh, so let's go to the next one. So the next one is identify joints involved and those at risk. So here, if we look at the joints of the lower back as a particular joint, those could potentially be joints at risk, especially if we're looking at a student with a big sway back involved rather than more of a straight neutral spine. So in this case, the the joints at risk would most likely be considered the facet joints or the joints along the spine itself. Is it a cue you would hear for the group or the individual? This would definitely be something you could say to a group of people online or a group of people in a class. Uh, Asking people in chair pose to draw the belly button into the spine is a good general cue. Dynamic versus static, well, We're often doing chair pose in the middle of sun salutations, but we could be doing chair pose in a static uh, scenario as well. So it could go either way. And then consider frequency. We're probably having people do chair pose pretty frequent, um, certainly more than once or twice in a class. So this would be a cue we would definitely want to be sure we can explain, to be sure is pretty on target because it is a cue we could potentially be using a lot. So now let's go back to the cue based on what we know and see what we can figure out. So we've identified that we're in chair pose. We've got the spine in um, neutral. However, there's a bit of a sway back. We've identified the joints potentially at risk are those facet joints uh, up and down the spine. So the cue to draw the belly button in creates a little bit of a posterior tip of the pelvis rather than letting the pelvis tip forward so much. And when we pull the belly button in, you can even try it here as you're sitting, if you're sitting, pull your belly button in and you may feel the back edge of your pelvis tip back and the front edge of your pelvis lift up. And so in that case, you're bringing your pelvis into a little bit of a posterior tip which should erase some of that sway back. Now, another way you could say it is tuck your tail. But what I've often found is when you ask people to tuck their tail, they overdo it and then they end up with too much posterior tipping. And so asking them to work the rectus abdominis and draw the belly button into the spine usually provides a more moderate posterior tip and the student will end up in just neutral in terms of their spine. So (laughs) that was a lot, right? It probably sounds like a lot of words. I want you to just, you know, this might be the kind of podcast episode you listen to uh, again, just to kind of get it. If you have questions, I want you to send me a DM on Instagram and let me know what came up for you and what your questions are, because I'd love to have some back and forth conversation with you and make sure that you really understand it. Now, for those of you who are interested in going into a little bit more of a deeper dive into my system for evaluating cues, go to Amazon and for five bucks, you can pick up my ebook, which breaks it down even further. And it's called the system for evaluating cues. And you can get that anytime right on Amazon. So we've come to the end of this episode here. I hope that you have found this helpful. I want to remind you again, as I mentioned at the beginning, I've got this wellness event coming up on January 30th. I'd love for you to grab one of the final spots. So to go and find out more about it, just visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, click on the events page, and you will see the sign up and you can read all about what you'll get in this full day of wellness. So, if you're still listening, as I hope you are, thank you so much for sticking with it all the way to the end of this episode. Please DM me with any questions. Please um, tell your friends about this podcast if it's something you enjoy and you have yoga teacher friends and you think that they might enjoy it, or even friends who just love to talk about anatomy and learn more about the body. The podcast would be epic excellent for them as well. If you have a moment and you feel inspired to write a review, that's always a great way to support the podcast. And I would really, really appreciate it. Send me an email, comment on my social media pages. Let me know what you think. Thank you again so much for listening. I hope to see you soon. And I will talk to you on the next episode here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just wanna remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my Mentorship Program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.